Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 498. That's right, two shows off the big 500, but I've got a holiday in between, so you're going to have to wait a little bit before we get there. What is Sonic Talk? Well, contrary to perhaps if you're watching the pre-show where we were de-snagging some uh, communication issues, it's a music technology show. It's about uh, synthesizers, software, controllers, uh, live production, live performance, electronic music, all of those things. And that's what we're going to be talking over about the next hour or so. I want to say thank you to our... Uh, competition sponsors and that is Isotope if you want to uh, stay tuned they are giving away a copy of RX6 and more details on how to enter that a little bit later on I want to say hello to our YouTube chatties uh Uh, You can find us every Wednesday at uh, 4pm or thereabouts uh, on our YouTube live channel, uh, which is uh, Sonic State, basically. If you just search that, then if you subscribe to us, you'll get a notification saying, hey, they're live, get over there and watch it, and you can chat. Or, if you like, you can join our... I'll get there. Our IRC chat room, which is at sonicstate.com forward slash live. So we've got kind of two things going there. So let's start with Mr. Mark Tinley. We uh, haven't seen him for a little while and we've been struggling to get his video going, but we've got there, which is awesome. Mark Tinley, sonusmagus.com. Uh, he is uh, at the present time the proprietor of a an electronic instrument and stringed instrument and things curiosity shop in Glastonbury. Ooh, uh. Does that sound about right? As well as being a sound artist. Yeah, sounds very accurate, actually. Excellent. Curiosities are us, yes, indeed. I like the sound of it. Last time we spoke to you, Mark, you were preparing for the onslaught of Glastonbury uh, hipsters. Did uh, did that happen? Too, not too many flip-flops entered, actually. It was, all, it was all okay. I did have a man from the BBC in today, though, so that must mean that they've only just finished packing up. He said he'd been working on the festival site. So. Whoa. Yeah, well, I mean, I have to say, um, BBC did a fantastic job. I think we we mentioned that a little bit next week, but we've also... uh, Thanks for joining us, Omar. I was going to just, at that point, introduce Rich, because he was at Glastonbury also, actually playing at Glastonbury on the main stage on Sunday night with Mr. Nile Rogers and Sheik. (laughs) And it was awesome, Rich. And we talked about it last week, and I was just curious to know. What were your... Because that's not the first show you've done, is it? Is it the first show on the Pyramid stage? It's the first show on the Pyramid stage, yes. We played in 2013 on, I think, the West Holt stage is what it's called. Um, And we played Pyramid this time. It was amazing. It was great. Huge. I couldn't believe it. It's quite a view. I tried to take a picture of it, but it really... You You can't convey. You tried. I I tried with the panorama. And the interesting thing is, at the exact same moment I tried, the keyboardist on the other side of the stage was trying. Our timestamps are like the same minute of of the show. So by comparison... What would you? Because when you played at 2013, what actually happened for you was it was that kind of classic BBC coverage moment, you know, as well as having a great moment of the gig. There was this sort of moment where it kind of went even more global because of obviously the BBC coverage was so great, and everybody went, "Wow, I didn't realise that Chic were doing that sort of thing." What was the? Was there a difference? Was it a much bigger arena? I mean, what was the kind of? What's the score? Well, there's always a component of wow, I didn't know he wrote all those songs to our show. Because yeah. people don't really realize all the things he's done. And um, and he tries to remind them at various points along the way. Um, but as relates to the differences between the two, I mean, from an execution standpoint, I thought we did fine both times. And uh, from a response standpoint, both audiences were incredibly loving. This one was about, I don't know, five times the size. But... Uh, it was it was extraordinary. It was ex- it's a really extraordinary thing to get to share happiness and touch the lives of I, people yeah, I can on ima- that scale. Yeah, but it's not in any way. I know this is going to sound really odd, but it's not in any way personally intimidating to me to be doing that. I was, yeah, I was, I, I, I did because I, I asked you that before, and I was, I was just really curious about it because I mean, obviously, it's such a big. Lots of people get terrified because you got the televised aspect of it as well. But I, I mean, one thing that you said to me that I thought was really interesting is because the sort of respect and the uh, the ability of the band means that you you don't have to worry so much about. I mean, what's going to happen? Yeah. You know, it's the safest. I said many times, it's the safest place in the world being on stage with those people in Chic. It. We really do uh, 
come, care for each other a lot and we love this music and they happen to be great songs. It's easy to love the music. So it's just fun I was in the crowd. to do. Pardon? So, I was in the crowd. The crowd absolutely loved it. It was like uh, you, you, you appeal to every age group from like the little ones right up to the oldies, like, you know, and, and everyone was dancing where I was and I must've been uh, probably about a mile away from you. I reckon Rich. <laughs> you probably didn't spot that. Uh, just to I bring mean, the only time I saw you was on that massive screen. I couldn't, I you could virtually I'd hardly see you on the stage. I was so far from the stage, but uh, uh -huh. the, you did. I have to say, Rich, you did get quite a lot more shots this time than last time. So, you know, they, they obviously have more cameras for a start, bigger stage, bigger deal. So you've got a lot more airtime. Well, there was a guy right over by me. And uh, what's I he going to do? I always make sure to greet them early in the show and say, hello. <laughs> can I get you anything? You know, I, I didn't go that far. It sounded <laughs> unbelievable as well. Boy, has that girl got a voice. Yeah. We yeah um, no we did okay I, I, if I could just I, I, I I'm I'm conscious that we should probably pull it back to music technology a little oh, bit yeah. so what sure. did you what what were you actually using what's your on stage rig uh, is it was it the same as everything else I mean is it the usual deal I mean just just talk us through my what usual, happened it's my usual deal uh, the bottom keyboard uh, I have two keyboards two eighty eight note Roland uh, stage pianos romplers as we like to call them and uh the bottom rompler is playing uh is an rd 700 gx and plays mostly strings and bells and uh some synthy combinations that i've programmed out of the rom things that they give you and uh that that's sort of the the coloristic keyboard and the top one tends to be Rhodes and clavinet and organ and uh maybe a poly synth now and then here and there in the show very rarely um, so it, it, the top one is kind of the meat and potatoes keyboard type stuff. And the bottom one is more your strings and coloristic. Right. Stuff. And that, and as you've said before, they're, they're stuff that shows up at the, you don't tour with that. You just tour with the, like the sound set on a USB stick or whatever. So what's the process yeah. when you get that? I mean, does somebody deal with that for you or do you like to, you get your hands on the keyboard, you make sure it's all working. I mean, in a festival situation, that's tricky, right? In our band because of the logistics of the way we tour i handle it myself and um i go backstage before the show they the our crew makes sure that uh i have ability to see the keyboards powered up backstage and i power them up and i do what i have to do i usually load from usb but quite often i have stored my stuff to the internal memory of the gx's of the world and some hilarious moments have happened where I'll walk up to a keyboard that I don't think I'd ever see, you know, from a company I maybe I haven't seen in a year and I power it up and it's got my stuff in it. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess not that many people use this thing is the moral of that story. But in any case, um, I usually look after it myself because there isn't a dedicated keyboard tech in our crew and uh, it's just the best path to making sure yeah yeah no, right. i can imagine okay here's a question for you what's the most complicated song you have to play from a kind of technique and sound switching point of view um probably the te technically the most challenging thing to play is the middle section of i want your love where the horns and i are playing oh, did a little, little, did a little, little. Yeah, oh yeah that, yeah that thing and trying to and playing it in rhythm and tightly with them and with both hands um, that's the ch most challenging thing technically to execute in the show. I guess the clavinet break and everybody dance that I do where Nile comes over and we kind of like funk out for a minute on those chords is a bit challenging too, but it's gotten to the point where I'm so comfortable with it that we just jam it. Um, cause it's a specific thing that he specified what that thing is. And I had to kind of like learn to play it. And, um, now it's just, I could play it in my sleep, but it, it first it was a bit challenging. And so do you, do you rehearse en masse as a band or do you tend to kind of work separately and then get together for a quick refresher session and stuff? I'm just curious about the logistics of something like this because there's a lot of people in the band and it's probably quite hard to get them all in one place. It's, well, it's expensive to rehearse this band. Yeah. I mean, let's be you know honest about the logistical aspects. It's, it's complicated and expensive to rehearse this band. So um, f to do what we substantially do, like what we did in that show, we don't need to rehearse for it because we've just been doing it for a really long time and we know what it is, but, um, 
when we introduce new material or if we have guest artists, which is quite often the case, we schedule rehearsals and we rehearse for a while and then the artist shows up and we rehearse with the artist and we tweak it until everybody's happy. And uh, so there are moments where we do rehearse. And then there are moments where we've rehearsed things at sound checks at a progression of sound checks that then becomes a thing in the show. Right. Grab it while you can. I guess that's the difference. If you're not doing a festival gig, you're doing a kind of installed gig where it's your night, then you get the opportunity to do that sort of more often, right? Well, and also because we have an incredible sound crew that travels with us, um, we can get our, the sound checky parts of our show can be done sometimes in 20 minutes and we can move on to, okay, we have another 40 minutes. What do we want to do? And we can rehearse. Um, yeah, I imagine that's very useful. Very useful. Interesting. Go, well, having those guys as part of the band, our, our crew is just, I mean, I know everybody uh, loves their crew, but I'm here to tell you these guys are freaking brilliant. And uh, sound crew in particular, and no, not even in particular, all of them are just amazing and uh, like family to us. And that's the thing about touring with these people. It's my second family. I love, I can't wait to go be with them. I'm going to miss my, miss the heck out of here and my wife, but um. You know, traveling with them is wonderful. It's just, it's always, it's a blast. You have to laugh a minute and we have a great time. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to, I'm, I'm sorry to quiz you like that, but I, I, no, I, I missed the opportunity last week. So I'm glad we got the opportunity this week. Cool. Well, going from uh, one thing to something completely different, and this is something that you found, Rich. I hope it's going to play now. <laughs> that would be awesome if it doesn't play. Excellent. Here we go. This is the uh, UVI Ravenscroft 275 piano, which sounds very lovely, but the, the thing that's quite interesting about it is it's actually on iOS. So it's uh, UVI, they, they do lots of great sample uh, uh, libraries, and they're kind of, I guess they're uh, the other, or one of the other alternatives to the contact engine, and a lot of people swear by their stuff, French, French company. And it sounds really nice. And the Ravenscroft piano is like a custom thing, isn't it? It's like a really super uh, the actual piano that they sampled. Okay, well, so we'll come to that. I, I, I feel I feel that I should give Mark a, ch a, a quick chance to chat. I'm imagining, Mark, um, you're probably not in the market for a beautifully sampled piano to run on your phone or iPad, but it's weird, not isn't it? it? It's funny, isn't it, to see that that's now, we're now entering the world where that device is going to be used for high, you know, high quality or what, what would be perceived as extremely high quality samples, you know, if it were only a few years back. So now that's becoming more of a, a, a dedicated machine for that kind of stuff. I mean, you need a, you know, a gig or thereabouts of storage to run it, but there you go, right? It is bizarre. I mean, all of this music technology stuff is bizarre from having, when I started doing it, a BBC Model B, was the first thing I used for sequencing on, or a uh, Sinclair ZX Spectrum. So, uh, and that had 48K of memory, but most of that memory was used for the program. So I could probably store, uh, as a sampler, I could store 32 kilobytes. <laughs> yeah, it kind of, of puts samples, in. you know? So, I mean, the fact that you can have like this thing, which is basically like a pane of glass, and you can put it in your handbag or your rucksack or whatever, and just kind of pull it out, and you've got like, that quality of piano sound is absolutely extraordinary, isn't it, really? Yeah, no, it is totally. I, I mean, I know, Rich, you were, you were keen on this one and you said it actually sounded pretty good. I mean, you're a, a, a pianist, yeah. and so, you know, there's... A, but it's an interesting uh, call. I think it's about... Uh, let me see, what did I find it as? Uh, well, impressions first, and I'll line up the, uh, the, the screenshot. <laughs> um, I think, like uh, I mentioned, it's for what it is, what it costs, and what it does. It's pretty remarkable. And there is somebody who's written an AU shell for it that has a lot, I think, more layers uh, that runs on your uh, desktop computer as well um, as a plug-in. It sounded really good. I, I was impressed. There's a nice uh, selection of microphone choices and things you can do with it. And uh, given that it's running on one of these, it's... A pretty remarkable thing. Do you did have you found any poly, polyphony limitations? Because I'm guessing it's either got to run it from RAM or stream it from the storage or stuff. I mean, or have you not been able to kind of work it out? I didn't that? get a chance to to test it like that. I'll, I'll, I didn't have it wired up. I was using Bluetooth and I was using this the Seaboard and um. I don't generally get that much. I don't like have yeah. to pedal down and start going like this on a seaboard. It's not that. It's kind not of that. Thing. Yeah, no, I so get you. I, um, 
So well, I can't I can't really answer that question. No, that's cool. Um, I'm just I assume it's cool, but I don't know. Thirty five ninety nine, which is interesting because it's actually cheaper in many ways than what you would consider to pay for a, a piano sample library if it were in contact or you know maybe UVI or whatever. So I mean the fact you get you the, the app as well. I guess they've got a kind of general sample playback app. I think it's thirty five ninety nine. You need iOS. 9.3 uh, is compatible with iPhone, iPad, and iPod. So imagine running that on your iPod Touch. Okay, okay. chat a- room, chat room to the rescue. The full library is available for 199 US. Ah, UVI library for Falcon or such. And I guess that's going to have more. Uh, that's going to have more. Um, uh, let, yes, if I put the chat room on, that's going to have more. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Nick. Nuck. Nuck, Nuck, fog it. Okay, I've got to yes. be really careful how I say that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I guess you've got different layer, different layers, and it's going to be a lot larger in those sort of terms. But yeah, yeah an interesting concept for sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, well, there were a few, thing. there are a few points. What is it? Real sympathetic resonance, sustained pedal modeling, thousand release samples for true, true connectivity, uh, true staccato. iPad, iPhone four or newer. Now that's a bit crazy. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there because I know that we had it last week and it, it did. The, the demo did sound really good. So I'm kind of keen. I guess the thing is, though, it's like this, Mark, isn't it? You know, once you've built the engine that will do that kind of level of sample playback, we're going to see more of this stuff. And people were going to consider maybe running an iPad Pro as opposed to, I don't know, maybe a Mac Mini for live sounds. I don't know whether or not that's that's the sort of thing that one would do. I mean, you'd have to solve a number of powering and audio interface, or interface issues to get you through a long gig to be confident that it's not going to die or, you know. I wonder if any, they're going to continue making Mac Minis. You think? Mm. I, I think I, any I'm moment. Wondering. Oops. Go, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Mark. Any moment we are going to explode. <laughs> the music technology scene will change completely. Why do I sound like Spike Milligan? Shall I stop doing that? I've got like this idea. I've had this idea for a long time that something's going to be like a very groundbreaking thing. So it's so we've we've um, been throwing the same things at the ever increasing technology. But any moment now, it's all going to shift. And the reason I know this for sure is because I've got a friend who has a fab lab, and they invited me over and they showed me a three D printed thing except it was a mechanism. And I looked at the mechanism and I thought, how on earth could you dismantle that? And they said, you can't, it's printed like that. So the thing, the 3D printer prints the whole thing with all the gaps in and all the pins that make the thing work. So it actually prints everything in situ. So that, if, if you apply that mindset to music technology and we could work out how to move from assembling things to being able to make them already pre-assembled does that make sense yeah no i understand there's something that somebody hasn't thought of yet that any moment they'll think of it and they'll go oh my god we could do that with this technology and it will be such a huge leap that we're all going to go wow why did nobody else think of that but we have the power now to do the most amazing stuff so i'm just waiting for that thing to turn up on my doorstep and for me to like i don't know just the whole thing to go to another level so I, I think these things are very clever, and it's very clever that we can kind of condense things. I mean, you could probably run, you could probably almost play that piano from your Apple Watch, couldn't you, with the, the kind of Bluetooth link? But, wow, that's a you know something else concept. has got to happen any moment, really, if you think about it, because we've got so you know the technology now to. It's just somebody's going to have that idea that will just take because I'd never thought about printing something already assembled, so you could never disassemble it or disassemble it. It just is the thing, and it works. Well, apart as, from as when, it, apart from when it breaks, and then you're in trouble. I suppose that's the. We only just problem. print another one. I mean, this was a thing with a really complex kind of a, an opening and closing kind of all these leaves that kind of close in on the top of each other. Most extraordinary thing. Hmm. So, um, but I don't know. I, the, the idea of printing it and printing all the gaps as well, and printing it as a mechanism, had never occurred to me. So if you yeah, so I, I, yeah, I see what you mean. Metaphorically, to music software, somebody so will do something—a quantum leap kind of thing. Yeah, uh, any moment. I'm going to throw a quick curveball in here because people in the chat room have been asking about it, and it was a kind of big piece of news. This and it crashed the Electron website. This is the news that the, there's an Octatrack Mark II, which traditionally has been quite an esoteric and niche. You see it a lot. I did uh, at Cymru Beats. We saw quite a number of them. Uh, probably two, There were five performers, and I think I saw two of them. And there were other people there with them. And this is the uh, Electron kind of sample, playback, sampling, sequencer kind of 
gizmo. Well, it's not a gizmo. It's like a, a system. And they've uh, introduced the Mark II, which has the look of the Digitac, got the new buttons. Uh, I don't know what else they've changed. I think they've they've upgraded the components and maybe the D2As, but I'm not sure what else is going on there. I don't know if any of you have ever tried an Octatrack. Have you, Mark, had a chance to check one out? Not no no okay. Uh, that's some. I did try something called an Octa something in the past though. Right, <laughs> Octa- many many years ago. But Probably wasn't that. Well, it's been out for a while. I don't know. Okay. I don't. I don't. I don't know whether you saw that, Rich. Whether there's a uh, whether whether you've seen or experienced an Octa track in in uh, in operation. But it seems like a, a great thing for playing live. So I'm wondering if that's going to get a bit of a extra kick of sales because it's it's uh, several years old now. Is it? Didn't they just release a sample playback sequencing device? Wasn't there just a new product from them in the last year that was a smaller version of something like this and Nick's holding it in his hand? Is that it? Yeah, well, the, you've got the Electron Digital, which is a, a sampling drum machine. Oh No, I'm talking... Oh, okay. Yeah, right. But that, okay. I mean, that came out earlier in the year. In fact, those of you who've been how, waiting... Sorry. How is this different from that? Um, it's a multi-track sample playback, so that it'll play back whole lengths of what stems of audio plus it'll sequence samples it's it's got effects engine it, it, it's more of a real-time process whereas the digitat is more of a a traditional drum machine kind of vibe. one shot that's more like your one shot trigger sampler more like yeah i mean it'll do the drum machine one the the, the yeah. more recent one I the, the digitat will do 30 seconds in fact i know a lot of you've been patiently waiting uh for our digitat special which is going to be happening on monday now uh electron are coming on monday jenks coming down or chenks i, I keep so I know you've been waiting a long time, and I, I made some sort of feeble excuses. The one excuse is we had it slot booked. They got delayed because they had something else to deal with. In the meantime, I filled up all the time around it, and then they couldn't get back. So this is the earliest we could do it. So I do apologize for that. But it will be coming, uh, hopefully, before I go away. There'll be a kind of uh, a more in-depth look at it with uh, a lot of the questions that you were asking on in the comments that I asked uh, and they've been building up and building up over the last uh, six weeks or whatever it is, uh, they will be answered. So anyway, I just wanted to say that. So, um, but the, yeah, the Octatrack, uh, $13.49, $14.49. Uh, I think it's going to be available in August. So yeah, it's kind of, and I, we wonder whether or not they're going to start to reintroduce this new livery and new componentry to the um, other things in the range, like the uh, the Analog 4, that kind of stuff. I guess it may happen. I mean, that, that would make sense to, to unify. It's going to make manufacturing and stuff a lot easier, which is often what you have to consider if you are indeed a manufacturer, no doubt. Um, I think it's probably time to have a word from our, uh, our competition sponsors. So I'll see if I could get that to play, and then uh, we, can, we can say thank you very much to uh, Isotope uh, because we're looking at RX6. Here we go. RX6, uh, new version of the widely acclaimed audio restoration, which does a lot of extra things now that you know you wouldn't consider uh, consider at the beginning. D-click, which is really handy for um, headphone bleed, de-hermit ground, herm amp noise, that kind of stuff, spectral repair, all of those great things. Noise reduction, uh, spectral de-essing, which is a very powerful tool as well. Uh, there's also de-breather, which is something if you've ever had to edit pop vocals you might well appreciate there you go it's, uh, mouth noise removal deplosive all of those things so it's not just about vocals though if you if you've got something that's like a great take and you just want to fix declippers very very useful de-reverb that's also very useful if you've got like an interview or whatever i mean it's just a, a whole suite of stuff please do check it out rx6 isotope.com forward slash rx or rx6 will get you there there's a 10-day demo for all of their stuff well worth checking out and obviously we ran a competition last week uh and i asked you uh to tweet the hashtag depop dehum and rx6 and we've got uh, a winner and they are disgraceland underscore uk on twitter uh uh, I see what you did there. It's kind of like a almost a Banksy kind of thing. Disgraceland underscore UK. You are uh, this week, last week's winner. So please do get in touch, and we'll get the Isotope people to drop a copy of RX6 in your inbox. And um, while uh, we're on the subject, we have another competition this week, uh, which is again a copy of Isotope RX6. They've been very generous with this. Uh, I'm looking for. I was going along with the D. The, the D-click, D-noise kind of thing. So this week's hashtag is D-click, D-noise. That's one word. So you type it as one word, D-click, D-noise, and the hashtag RX6. And if you tweet that to at Sonic State, 
at Sonic State, sorry, and at Isotope Inc. That will get you into the competition. It is a Twitter-based competition, I'd just like to point out. So the hashtag DeClickDenoise and the hashtag RX6 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And please feel free uh, to use up those extra characters you've got in the tweet to, you know, send any information, embellish photos, whatever. We know that uh, the folks at Isotope do monitor it and they see them coming by and they've got they've got in their recreation area, they've got these big screens which kind of monitor social media and they always see uh, the competition entries going past and I think it gives them a uh, quite a good buzz. So let's keep that buzz going. So yes, and they go past pretty fast, I can assure you. So anyway, that's it. Thank you very much uh, to Isotope for sponsoring the competition. Very much appreciated. So uh, let's move on to uh, what other topics have I got here? There's a few. Uh, oh yeah, did you see this was cool? That's not it. It's this one. I do beg your pardon. This appears to be sponsored by Tascam. This is uh, Grammy-winning Robert Carranza, engineer. I make records for a living. For the past. 27 years now I've been in the music business. Worked with a variety of scope from Jack Johnson to Marilyn Manson, to salsa music, to reggae, to funk, to the grimiest hip hop, to the darkest metal, <laughs> and film scores. I started off as basic as it gets with a Porta One studio. My wife bought it for me as a gift with my girlfriend back then. She used to work I don't think I'll play the whole thing, but the, the thing that was interesting this is that it was a bit of a sort of uh, uh, a kind of clickbait headline. But basically, he still uses his Tascam Porta One, which uh, for those of you perhaps don't know what a Porta One is, I have got a, a photo I prepared here. And I actually used to have one of these. I, I remember now because I saw this and I thought, yeah, I had one of those as well. And it, it was after the Porta, the 244 I had that. And it, this introduces a number of things. I and mean, obviously, you know, he's a tape guy and he uses it for maybe some informal stuff. Obviously knows what he can get out of it. I and, mean, you know, it's a cassette. It's not going to be the greatest thing. But there are two aspects to this topic, really. One is, um, what do you think of that? And the other one is, what have you still got and still use that you've had the longest? So, Mark, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what do I think of that? I think it's bloody brilliant. Uh, and if you find a tool that works for you, don't give it up. It makes perfect sense to me. Um, and not only that, I used to have a Porter One, actually, thinking about it. Unfortunately, I don't have it anymore. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I do remember I, them being quite good. I think it had batteries. I think it ran on batteries, but I can't remember. I know the X15 did ran off batteries. You could buy an extra battery pack thing that you could put on the back of it, and it just ate batteries. I seem to remember. Yeah, don't rewind. Um, just turn. I had Porter Porter Studio recently. Actually, I did buy a Yamaha. Um, oh God, what is it? An MT04 or no? It's not that. I can't remember. MT44, something like that. Um, because. Um, I've got loads and loads of cassettes of things I recorded when I was younger, which I want to be able to access. And actually, also, if you're um, copying, if anybody else asks me to copy cassettes, I just put the thing on double speed, whack uh, four outputs into a door and record, you know, forwards and backwards all at the same time. So I can record a cassette into a computer in a quarter of the time, which is quite useful, isn't it? Ah, nice trick. Nice trick. And I it like also that. has uh, various different Dolby ons and offs and all sorts of different things, so you can play around <clears> with the sound and the noise reduction of it. In terms of, have I still got anything that I've used for years? Yes. Uh, my favourite thing that I still have is a Powertran MCS1 sampler, um, which is a digital delay, but you can freeze the delay but the coolest thing about it is that it has a click track so what you can actually do is you put it in sampler mode you press the record button it's the first sampler i had that waits to hear a signal before it jumps into record again it's got 64k of memory i think so i can whack it <laughs> that's longer that's mode. shorter than the counting <laughs> <laughs> But I can well no because you can put it on this ridiculously low sample rate and it's only yeah. eight bit as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I stick it in record and then I can start playing a riff. When I start playing the riff, the click track starts playing. When you get to the end of the click track, uh, you can whack it into a loop and you can make it loop and then you and then you can keep overdubbing things by turning the freeze on and off. And it really is. I think it's probably one of the first delays that could loop. Um, Powertran did have one before that, I think. DD1000, was it? Right. But, that, but, but this thing is just really cool. It's really cool for like playing around with ideas and 
uh, the thing you can do with it that you can't do with any of the modern loopers is you can speed stuff up and slow it down. But I don't mean in a time stretch kind of way. I can, Just I can slow it. things down an octave. And then I, my favorite thing to do is to punch it in and out of chords. So I like hit the guitar and then punch it in and out of chords. So, so you I've get like a gated. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Jagged little shards of things, and then it, I end up with a sample, which I could save into a BBC B microcomputer <laughs> if I had really the, uh, time, <laughs> will or whatever, or just record into a modern, you know, record it out of the MCS one and back into a modern computer. And I do play around with it quite often. It's a very cool thing. Nice. Well, I'm glad to hear that. That's always good to hear that there are still things around. I guess, Rich, it's, it's over to you now. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing. You know, in the world that you inhabit, which is studio sessions, you know, people who are, you know, time is money and we've only got the artist for X number of hours or whatever. Perhaps you don't get to indulge your, uh, your, you know, your your old passion of, of whatever you've had for years and years. But I may be making a massive assumption there. Yes, I am. Good. I'm glad. Put me right, Rich. You'll have to unmute yourself first. Okay. Somebody <laughs> pour him. Somebody, somebody get a, a drink. Shot. Somebody take a somebody drink. Somebody take a shot. <laughs> Um, well, I've been gigging since I was 15 years old, so it makes sense the reason that I might have some, some cool old stuff kicking around. But, uh, so the, so I'll answer the second question first, the cool old stuff. Uh, I have an original Mutron phaser from the 1970s. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I have a boss CE2 chorus pedal from the same period of time. Nice. I have, um, I have two Philco tube 78 players radios uh in wood cases from the, like the 40s downstairs um before so your time as much as, as much as i don't like give in much to romance when it comes to old gear i do actually get romantic about certain kinds of wacky stuff um historic mechanical musical instruments interest me though i don't have many i actually have a yamaha cp 60 upright electric grand with midi in my garage that if you want it you can come and get it <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, parts of it are broken but but uh but it's there and it works to some extent it works some of it doesn't work anyway but getting on to this guy's porta studio another thing i have i that's little known about me is that in the mid 80s i worked at a high-end audio video uh the consumer audio video dealer uh, on Long Island at which I worked in the service department and we were authorized Tascam. So I sort of became the guy who tuned up everybody's Porta studios. Ah. So I knew a lot. I had worked in major recording studios already and I knew how tape machines worked and that was actually something I could do for them that, you know, I, without like a lot of electronics training that I didn't have. So I became sort of the uh, Porta studio tune up guy. Uh, on one level, I also used to tune Nakamichi's and a whole bunch of other stuff. But um, so I know a lot about these machines. <laughs> a ridiculous, and the fact that that guy's still works is an absolute freaking miracle. <laughs> but um, but uh, it's it's you know I actually have been in and out of Porta Studios more than most people you know. Oh, an intro. Is that, could it be improved upon from the factory setup? Could you get it to kind of perform better or, or did it require, you know, or could, would you match it to a specific tape formulization to get the best out of it? Oh, it could be improved. Yeah. Yeah. It could be made to sound really good. Yeah. Uh, they had, if you didn't follow the tune-up procedure that they provided to you in the manual, whereas if you did, it was going to sound kind of like that. But uh, you could actually get it to sound good by uh, I, I used to bypass the DBX and tune the thing up and then engage the DBX. They wanted you to tune the thing through the DBX compander, which made no sense to me whatsoever. So uh, I developed my own procedure and I actually made jumpers and stuff to make this work and uh, and uh, got really good at making Porta Studio sound great. I could make that guy's Porta Studio sound great. Well, there you go. Maybe you did. You didn't realize it, and that's why he's still using it. Yeah. If he, yeah, if he was on Long Island in the mid '80s with it, uh, then I probably did. Yeah, Robert Carranza, one of his one of his quite. I mean, he did like Jack Johnson, Marilyn Manson, Los Lobos, but you know, so he's got Grammys. Uh, one thing I uh, uh, he says uh, not to put the Grammys it, uh, down, but the Porter one means more to me than the Grammys. It's one of my most prized prized possessions. It got me into business. So that's one thing he did mention at the time. It kind of got him out of the garage and be and able to kind of get into the recording. So and, and for many of us, it was the same you know and that's that kind of transition it well, would enable it that technology enabled that transition 
I can relate to that because the other most valuable precious piece of gear in my lifetime that's still where it was is the Steinway 1914 six-foot grand piano that I grew up playing, which remains in my father's living room. Um, and that would be like if, yes, you could have all the awards in the world back, but you can't take the piano kind of thing if I were given that kind of choice, which I don't know if I ever will be. But um, that's Did another one of those really, really old historic pieces i guess going back to 1914 that's pretty good yeah no i can imagine my, uh, my partner jane she's got a, a, a an old beckstein uh which we think is not about its turn of the century 1900 somewhere around there and you know she it it does need to tune up and what have you but i mean i didn't grow up look i, I we had a really crummy piano in in our house and it was uh it wasn't really it was bought so because I, I was learning the piano but it was it, it i used to take the front off it and record it and stuff and it just you know but I miss that physicality, but I always the neighbours always used to complain because I always used to get creative uh, after hours, and we lived in a very small terraced house, you know, so it didn't work. I, I was just trying to think what it was that I've still got that I I've had for years and years and years, and it's not. I, I might just go and quickly grab it actually. Okay, bed, the bedding window's open. The what? <laughs> the bedding window. Bedding Is window. he coming back with a teddy bear? Oh no! Oh, it's a guitar. It's not a teddy bear. Yeah, it's actually a guitar, which is kind of <laughs> weird. But I started out in the Porter Studio world with sort of drum machines and guitars and synthesizers beforehand. And this this guitar here is a Burns Split Sound uh, 1962 original uh, Split Sonic uh, with those kind of yeah. weird pickups with wild dogs and, you know, all of that nice. kind of stuff. Uh, and and the, the thing about the history of this guitar is when in my first band, this was the, the guitarist's guitar. And I used to play it, you know, and what have you, because, you know, it would be lying around. So that's what I, I, I learned to play my modicum of guitar ability on it. And then um, it ended up being sold uh, to somebody else and I managed to buy it back off them. And the thing was, I mean, this is, we're talking, I would be 15, 16, so 35 years uh, ago at least. And, and, pl uh, and plus that, it, it's older than me. So it has a very specific sort of thing. But in terms of synthesizers, it's it's more difficult because one tends to buy and sell things and upgrade and what have you. And, you know, if you, yeah. particularly if you don't have the funds to hang on to stuff, it it does rotate. But I, the other thing I used to have was this uh, Trantec DIY kit that I bought secondhand off uh, some kind of place. And it's it was just like a, a rack of modules that are hand, you know, that you, somebody built. And it had a little uh, bent bit of aluminium with a patch bay in it. And there was an EQ, a little parametric EQ, a little compressor, a gate, and a, uh, an exciter. And I remember um, back in the days when, you know, th that's the only outboard I ever had before, you know, apart from a mixer maybe, and I used to use that. And I remember uh, the sound of the vocals in um, a number of things that, that were the first sort of bedroom remixes that we did went through the Tantec. And the Tantec was like, it was like a Keypex, but way more vicious and ran probably at minus 20. So anything you put into it would be hitting it really hard. And I remember it had an indicator light when it was going. And uh, I don't know whether it was because I was hitting it so hard, but it blew up and popped and sort of split the, LED, the little uh, red LED split. So I could never see that anymore. And wow. I, I wish I'd still had that because it was a, very much a part of the sound. But the other, I, I still have my D110 which was the, yeah which was the first synth that wow. i bought for multi-timbrality and i still have that and i used to use it on loads of, and it enabled you know when you had that in a computer it was just like oh my god i can create these entire opuses of stuff and so i've still i don't use it to be fair because what do you can i can i be the question asker yes please ask what do you not have now that you still wish you had hmm that's what another have you good sold question. that you now think, oh my God, I wish I'd still got one of those. You know, I, w I wish that I'd kept my Mirage and Sonic Mirage. There's something about the sound of that that, uh, and it may be one of those memories that when you hear it back again, you go, what? But there was no, something. I think you're right, actually. There's something about the sound of that yeah. that, that I, I don't think it was, you know, there's nothing specific necessarily. And it had nice filters, you know, for the time, but it, it's more about what it enabled me to do when i had it. it it opened the creative doors to a lot of things that made me go wow i can make this and uh, and i think it's more that than than the in maybe the sound quality of and i'd like to i'd like to have that still i don't know what about you mark me yeah akis 900 actually thinking about it yeah 
um, just the fact that you could have uh, I could I used my the first thing I sequenced an S nine hundred with was a TR nine oh nine, so I ran the S nine hundred full of samples, and I had like a few bass notes that I needed for my bass line, and all the rest of them were samples which I triggered off each of the 16 keys on the TR-909. So it's literally the first, what is it, the first 16 notes of a keyboard, isn't it? From, And I think the kick drum and the snares are the wrong way round, or not the general MIDI way round. Um, but I used, to, I used to write songs on the 909 and run all the samples out the S900, and it cascaded samples in a really interesting way when you re-triggered them. Um, and it had a very specific sound to it, and... Um, I might, yeah, I might like to do that again. Actually. I think you just, um, a lot of people would still buy. I, I know um, some of the producers that I've worked with have, have picked up at the S nine hundreds or S nine fifties more because they've got more memory. And I, because I, I gave all my old sample discs, I had a big box of sample discs of S nine hundred to uh, to Will, and he's got a Will from Goldfrapp, and he's got my sample disc and, the, and an S. But the Compander in it was clever as well because it had this kind of DBX circuit in it, which made it sound way better than a twelve bit sampler, and the I don't know how it managed it, but you could sample a cymbal in there at 10 kilohertz and play it back, and it was still bright. So there was some kind of um, trickery, uh, enhancer, or exciter in there as well. So it did have it didn't it wasn't didn't have quite as good a bottom end as the S1000. When the S1000 came out, the bottom end of that was much better. But but then that didn't ever play in time, did it? The S1000, it was all no, over it was all over the place. At least the stereo uh, imaging was sort of all right. I know. I guess the same question applies to you, Rich. Is there something that you wish you'd not sold? Um, a couple of things I wish I still had. One is um, my Wurlitzer Model 200A piano. Um, I've got one I of those. Wish, yeah, I wish I still had. Uh, do I? Do I? But then again, I have a clavinet sitting right over there that I'd never, ever, ever use. So I know that if I had it, I still wouldn't use it. Um, the other one, which I don't even know how you'd use today is the uh, Garfield Dr. Click that I used to use in the early 80s in my productions uh, during the FSK days. And that's why I say I don't know quite how you'd use it in <laughs> today's world. But in addition to breaking clocks up into any possible subdivision you needed to make any kind of gear you had in the room work in time, it also had two separate control voltage sections with continuously variable waveforms that could be operated in rhythm with those clocks at any subdivision you wanted and you could do all kinds of incredibly cool stuff with those control voltage sources now in today's world there's probably the there's an analogous probably a, a hundred analogous products in your rack that do this but for me at the, at the time there was nothing else that could do anything like that and it was really great to have it so, do you, I mean, again, is it, does it sort of go back to the kind of concept that I'd had, which was, you know, it's not necessarily the functionality, but it, it's the memory of the doors it opened at yeah. the time. So, be, it's the romance. Well, is that romantic? I mean, you know, it is. Yeah. It is for me. Think, it is in for terms of because you know, you I don't know, know, it's like pushing it's, rocks uphill. I'm sorry. Bob. Yeah, no, I know. But what it allows you to do things that you can't do with anything else. So, one, th you're talking about time code and being able to spit time code out in weird ways. Um, C Lab. Uh, notator allowed you to spit sync 24 timecode out and to stop and start it in patterns so when i switched between patterns i could i could make 303s step back in the bit in the bar if that makes sense right so instead of your one bar loop in your tb303 always playing the same thing you could move it back like a 16th note or like a, a quarter note or whatever and start the loop in a different place without having to change the pattern. And it just did something completely different. And you could do stops and starts in between patterns when you arrange the, you know, patterns into a song or whatever. Uh, and all those kind of gaps and those drops we used to do back in the 80s. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, there. <laughs> yeah. um, but you couldn't do it with anything else. There's nothing I know of that would... Uh, allow you to do that and then to like be able to so then that meant i was free to twist all the knobs around and make it do all the squelchy things so yeah which clavier clavier would allow you to do that but there was a pretty significant difference in cost yeah, yeah. that's very true no that's <laughs> interesting i mean I, I think now you know that this thing that i see a lot with uh people who are uh, working with modular systems they have a lot of uh, modules that will kind of 
subdivide and process clocks in different ways. So you've got your master in and then all these different ways of kind of offsetting and re-triggering and dividing in various... And that I guess that's a similar kind of concept if that spits out those sort of things, but it means that you have to get involved in all of that world. And I know a lot of us are kind of resistant because it's a whole can of worms when it comes to... Uh, well, a lot of things, really. So you know, you you have to be you have to be kind of quite uh, prepared to dedicate your life to that way of doing things once you start. I don't know, as as that any of that will crept into the commercial aspect of what you do, Richard, or is it it's very far away from what's required for the job? Um, it's it it sometimes it does. I mean, uh, every now and again, there's a run out and get me a Heil talk box moment. You know, where you got to go out and get some kind of old mechanical. You you remember the Heil talk box? It had a a speaker driver about the size of a quarter. Yeah, it's like uh, a bullet, wasn't it? Mid range bullet. And then, yeah. and then it would come up a tube and go into your mouth. And it was Mike, that, will you Frampton, do you feel like I do sound? Yeah. And every now and again, you know, we will have what I call the Heil talk box moment where it's like, run out and get me a, you know, you know, uh, what did Groucho say about, uh, Something about it, this would make sense to a four-year-old child. And he said, well, run out and get me a four-year-old child because I can't make any sense of it at all. <laughs> it's kind of like that. You know, run out and get me a Heil talk box. Run out and get me a, you know, like, so we do have those moments now and then. Not so much run out, but order one these days because there's no such thing as retail anymore. But, um, oh yes, there is. Uh, well, well, I don't. Yeah, but <laughs> there outside he is. of Wollstonebury and <laughs> just, I've survived a year, more than a year, actually. Bless you. Yes. I wish I'd seen it. I really do. It was, yeah, it was, I, I wish you had as well. I want. I would, I would have loved Niall to come in as well because then we could have done the photo. You know, the cheesy photo they always have in the Italian ice cream parlor with him on with the, the wall. guy with his arm around all the different stars like Robert De Niro or whatever, I think I need to start plastering my walls with all these weird signed photographs of strange people. Well, I'm not saying Niall's strange or you, but... You can you know start with I mean. Sonic Park broadcasters. Yeah, well, we'll do it. I'll, I'll come down and do it at some point. Yeah, definitely. do, do. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. <laughs> then people will go, who the hell's that? Yeah, quite rightly. Well, it feels like, I mean... I, I hesitate to start any more topics because we're kind of at five o'clock. So I think maybe it's uh, we'll save some of these. I know, Rich, you're going to be this is going to be the last time you see for a little while because you're out on tour, aren't you? You're going on the big the big leg, as it were. Yeah, um, there are. It's a lot of traveling. Uh, this is a bus tour, and we're going. We're covering some serious mileage in the U.S. So I'll be my availability will be very spotty for a little while. Well, that's. I, I hope you have a lovely time, and Thank I'm you. sure. Where can just out of curiosity, where can people find out about those dates if they wanted to come and catch you somewhere in the uh, in the northern hemisphere? I just posted some of them on my Facebook page. Um, I'm sure if you just run Earth, Wind, and Fire Chic tour dates 2017, you're going to see a list of them in any given search engine that you use. But. Um, I don't know of any that, exact that's probably, that, No, but I'm sure it could be found. And of course, um, I don't know if you're a friend of the friend of the show, John Van Eaton, is actually one of the crew, or certainly was. I don't know if he still is, but he was uh, going out with Earth, Wind, and Fire. So you'll get yeah. to, to see him again. We did an interview with John Van Eaton. He's like a kind of, he's he's like this legendary. Uh, is it key tech or guitar? I mean, just stage tech generally i think he does a whole bunch of stuff with a massive you know and he's a really interesting guy and so you'll get to presumably be re reunited with him from yeah. time to time even though obviously you'll be operating in slightly different schedules but uh so say hi we to him when you do we should have a few good catering room dinners together i would think excellent hopefully that sounds like great fun. Well, have a yeah. lovely time, Rich. And it's probably you. you're probably going to miss episode 500, which is at the moment looking like it's going to be August the second. I think. Uh, if I well, that happens to be a day I will be home. Ooh, that's good news. Right? Well, that's, okay. That's when the the that's the what's today is the uh, the seven eight nine. No, today's the sixth. The four ninety six is today. Mm -hmm. The show? Uh, uh, this is four nine eight. Eight. Yeah, four nine nine will be next week, and then there's a break for two weeks. Ah. So what are you going to do? Have you got a plan? No. 
Uh, not yet. <laughs> not yet. I think Dave Spears is coming down here. I haven't really. I. I. I know. I should I sh- be able to make that. Excellent. Well, we'll just. I think we'll just make it a kind of big party style thing, and there'll be lots of laughs. That's the plan. Cool. Get as many. I know we can only usually get four people on, but I'll try and get as many as I can. And uh, well, maybe I should come as well to you as well, and then it frees up a slot for a for a person that can't. An external. It? Yeah, that could work. I'm sure we could make that work. That would be a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, as has been slightly rambling on my part, and I do apologise if uh, you were expecting some tightly focused music tech talk, but I, you know, that's the way we roll. As I said, it's an informal and fun gathering, and I hope you've enjoyed it. And don't forget, if you're interested in uh, entering the competition to win Isotopes RX6, uh, basically you just need to uh, enter via Twitter. We're looking for the hashtag #dclickdenoise. That's one word. That's D-E-click and D-E-noise. So D-click-D-noise, if you see what I mean. And the hashtag RX6, and you tweet those to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. So that's the hashtag D-click-D-noise, the hashtag RX6 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And you'll be able to uh, enter the competition and we'll pick another one next week. And while I'm away, I I don't know if I might have mentioned it on the show. I think I mentioned it pre-show. I'm hoping to do an interview with uh, this... uh, producer a guy called mountain bird from uh, sweden so that'll be one of the holes that'll slot but it won't be a, a properly numbered sonic talk so it won't be a it won't offset the actual 500 that's what i'm hoping anyway so um once again we encourage you to subscribe to sonic state we've got a lot of stuff coming up we've got a whole series on ableton coming up we've got some uh stuff with uh tim exile we've got the novation circuit mono station review coming up we've got uh, there's there's a whole bunch of things planned and in the system and ready to go so thanks again for watching and thank you very much rich for joining us being a pleasure i hope your packing goes uh, according to plan as you miniaturize everything you possibly can <laughs> for lugging great. about excellent i'm glad to hear it thank um, you and uh, have a great trip and also mr mark tinley thank you for persevering and finding a skype machine that finally worked for us so that we could talk to you and uh, look forward to it another time indeed absolutely thank you very much for having me you're welcome Pleasure as always uh, that's it for this week I want to say thank you very much to our panelists and everybody else and thank you to all of those folks in the chat rooms that's the youtube live chat and also our own uh, IRC chat room which I'm just about to play a video press the wrong button because I wasn't looking I think I can get it to show there we go the chat room oh lots of words in there see you can you can go and check it out anyway different oh, I'm in the YouTube one ah there we go there are two so thanks everybody for joining us uh, that's it for this week uh, that's this button I need to press now sorry I'm trying to do too many things at once that's it for this week we'll see you next time <laughs>